This is episode 32 of the Brick and Data podcast, a podcast dedicated to retail news, analytics, and tech. Coming up in this episode, Revenge of the Malls, Holiday Experience and Convenience. Is Amazon's second headquarters coming to your city? <clears throat> Boston. And more in this episode of Brick and Data. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Brick and Data podcast. This is Todd Harris. And as usual, as always, I am blessed by Jose Chan's presence. Hi, everyone. Ooh, you sound a little crunchy there. It's okay. Um, we're going to bring up, we're going to dig up a topic from last year. Well, so last year we had an episode, and, and, if, and if our audience wants to check it out, it's called Mall Rats. I think it's called Mall Rats. And we talk about malls and how um, the big topic of last fall, prior to the holiday season, or right when we were starting shopping for the holidays, was that malls aren't doing as well. There were reports coming out from mall owners, meaning some of the some of the folks that handle the leases and the retailers that are part of the malls, that the retailers are leaving the malls and the department store earnings were at the time not doing so hot leading into first quarter of 2017. So we did a little bit of a thing on how malls have changed and malls aren't really what they were 10, 20, 30 years ago, right? So we've talked about that a fair amount. And and, uh, and this was all from a, a report that we're following up on this time uh, from Lee and Fung, uh, Flung, I'm sorry, Fung Global Retail Technology. So it's fungglobalretailtech.com. And uh, they do a yearly, what seems like a yearly report. Um, and this is their second report in a three-part series on the mall is not dead. And I think last year we, we may have leveraged some of the data from a previous report. Uh, but this one is maybe maybe a little bit different, Jose. It is. It is. So last year, uh, you're absolutely right, Todd. So last year, um, we talked about the first installment of the risk report. And just a quick recap for all our listeners. Uh, the gist of that uh, report was that there are 1,221 malls in America. Uh, and of those, 20%, uh, which are considered A malls, generate 72% of revenues. And what we said was that the anchor stores have changed, JCPenney's, Macy's, etc. The standard, uh, let's say, anchor stores have been replaced with uh, companies like Tesla, uh, Apple as anchor stores. That was the gist of it. Here, it's evolved, to your point, quite a bit. Uh, so now what we're – yes, so one of the points is malls are still relevant and we're still overmalled and overstored. But e-com is new this year in terms of it's much more prevalent in the way that uh, consumer behavior shopping patterns are, uh, let's say, shaping it. And there's a problem, right? Because of e-com, um, if you go into malls, there isn't much differentiated product. Um, and essentially co consumers are looking for value and experiences that only malls or physical environments can offer. So what, what does that have to do? I guess I'm thinking through my, we have, we have, so we have two brains in this podcast. Mine is very non-retail and yours is very retail. So I always bring the non-retail angle into play here. That's great. No, that's yeah. Perfect. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. So what does this mean, though, from an e-commerce perspective? So it, it, you're saying that people want to go to malls for an experience, uh, but 
What it, what is I guess what are you saying about that that um, either the increased competition from e-commerce or are they truly trying to differentiate? I guess what's the angle there on e-commerce when it comes to malls? Ah, good good question. So every retailer, uh, well, should have or does have uh, an e-com site, right? So we know that these two channels have to coexist. So it's not only a competitive standpoint of um, let's say retail A in a given mall uh, competing against its arch rival, uh, retailer B in the same mall. It's also a question of retailer A having an e-com business that is growing um, and taking some business away from its physical stores. Mm -hmm. However, if you follow that logic, what's happening as well is that you do need the physical stores in order to make the sales. Uh, because it, 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 the more channels, okay, the gist is the more channels that you have uh, to sell your products uh, through, the more robust your business. So you do need a physical presence. So that maybe yeah. applies for maybe specialty retailers, mono brands, but department stores seem to be in a, a bit of a funk still, right? Yes. They maybe maybe this this dynamic that you're referring to there doesn't apply to them because. They've consistently seen sales drop in malls and their presence drop uh, for the past 10, 15 years. Partially, yes, because you're absolutely right. So essentially, the statistic is that um, department stores, which have been the mall anchors, as we said earlier, have seen sales fall by 40% since 2000, mm -hmm. right? But this is because of a couple of reasons. This has happened because earlier on, it was one-stop shopping. People do not do not necessarily want one-stop shopping. So the next phase was specialty stores, right? And then now the next phase is not just specialty stores, but it's getting something at a discount. Yeah. So that, that that's one component. The other component is that department stores, as we said in this original statistic of 1,021 malls, if you have, obviously you're not going to be in 1,021 malls as an anchor store if you're Macy's, but you'll get me at a lot of them. Um, you're, you probably have too many stores because as e-com has grown, um, it's taken away from its own business at Macy's, right? Which is the second point I was making about competing against a competitor or competing or, or trying to balance your internal e-com physical mm -hmm. revenue, um, base, then you're going to have a little bit of an issue there. Um, and you're overstored, which is part of the statistic. And thirdly, with changing consumer, let's say, uh, expectations of wanting low prices, uh, if you want a specialty store, you'll go to a TJ Maxx or you'll go to the outlet division of um, brick and mortar store, Nordstrom Rack, uh, Neiman Marcus Last Call, uh, Backstage, uh, although there's a question mark there. That's the other piece that's that's occurring simultaneously. Yeah, and there seems to be also a dynamic changing with the big brands that would very often sell from a wholesale perspective into the department stores in malls. <clears throat> you would go, you know, even just ten years ago, twenty years ago, whatever. You'd go to the mall, you'd go to Lord and Taylor or wherever, and buy your, you know, your new sneakers and your new work shoes and maybe some, you know, X brand shirts and pants or whatever it might be, right? So you go there for right. your kind of cross section of brands and shopping. Right. So now with, you know, of course, Amazon and play and establishing their relationship with many of those same brands, 
the channels have changed tremendously and this this is you know in addition to us not just you and i but shoppers in general being a little picky a little more picky about what they want in a mall and mm -hmm. you know not just department stores but yeah tesla fancy things like that and you know a, a food experience a different experience in malls they're also getting their their branded product elsewhere correct yeah. correct because think of a way plus what you're pointing to is the the we're really both saying um for this particular point is brand loyalty has yeah. diminished right the way we shop it's a we, we don't trust head to toe x brand uh for men or y brand for women Do, doesn't really work that way anymore to your point yeah you get your pants from a given retailer your shirts from another retailer perhaps and your sneakers from another retailer right so are we are we still are we still saying it's all cloudy and gross out there in terms of in terms of malls, or is there anything good coming out of this? Or has it been just still another year of, you know, of mall demise and department store demise in that sense? And I mean, we've seen various levels of department stores try to reinvent themselves, and it's been working for a whole bunch of them. Uh, yeah. Whether it's, you know, the higher-end stores like Saks creating a whole new experience in their stores, which is probably the key to their survival and mm -hmm. acceleration um, or if it's JCPenney changing how they might assort their stores and, you know, maybe even elements of their brand, you know, and, and there's other ones, too. The list goes on and on. We've got Kohl's recently. Less of, they're less of a department store, probably. But, um, and, you know, they have a little bit of a relationship happening with Amazon now. So there's so many angles that are happening. And I don't think we would have seen much. You and I would not have talked about many of these angles last year at this time. I don't no. think. No, and you hit it right on the head, Todd. You said there's one word that I picked up on, which I think really summarizes the period from last year to this year and for the foreseeable future. And that word you used was reinvention. It's a period of retail reinvention. But uh, to your question originally, the good news for both mall owners and retailers is that although consumers are shopping differently, uh, uh, they're still shopping. Retail sales were up 4.5% uh, April this year versus April last year. And more than 90% of purchases are still made in physical stores. And this is these are statistics uh, out of uh, the report that we were referring to. Yeah, I mean, those are those are great stats. And, and we should also have another stat to say that it took me 32 episodes to say something memorable for you, Jose. <laughs> don't take it personally <laughs> well hey i'm proud of myself so hey let's do another 32 and see what happens now you said mem many memorable things it's just that I, <laughs> I i guess i i phrase it in different ways <laughs> all right hey so let's let's move on a little bit here off of the malls since we tend to um uh, beat them up a little bit so yeah good for you malls and we'll see we'll see what happens with you over the next um couple quarters uh so holidays holidays are coming up but for retailers it's already old news um, you know, they've already, they've already planned and, uh, set everything up for the holidays. And, um, what, what is, what is going on here? We've got another, we've got another report. So we love our guides and reports and retail dive has, uh, the retailer's guide to the holiday season. It seems it's a little less materialistic than we expected, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, look, uh, so the NRF, uh, to tell our, our, our listeners, uh, created the 2017 Retail Holiday Planning Playbook for Retailers. And this was a study done by NPD, 
And there are four things that apparently come up as four trends, which are which really speak to the experience uh, of what retail should be, right? So one of them, I'll start with the first one, and then we can take it from there, is and this is just an emerging trend. So this is this is important, which is they care more about online wish lists. And we remember, our, well, some of us, I can't say we all do as listeners. <laughs> I do, uh, I'll admit it, a handwritten wish list. But now it's transitioning <laughs> to a digital one, right? So 63% of shoppers would like online wish lists to help organize their gift purchases, right? Um, even though only a quarter uh, currently use online wish lists. So, with that, there's another statistic that 47% of respondents said that they will look in physical stores to find the perfect gift. Uh, so this is why it's important, right? We're just we just talk, came off of a segment on malls, so it's important to to have a good experience and maybe have a link um, that will take those online wish lists because that's data that correlates to what's available for consumers to purchase. Sure. I mean, that seems kind of obvious. It doesn't seem like, <clears throat> honestly, I mean, a lot of these things in the report seem to me like no kidding, right? I mean, it, <laughs> honestly, it just doesn't seem that, I mean, we're talking about it because it's the point to be made here is that it's going to be about the experience for them. And we and when we first started talking about the retail experience and how that's changing last year when we started the podcast, it felt very squishy to me. Like I was like, I wasn't quite positive as to how this was changing, what exactly retailers were doing. It seemed very theoretical. It seemed like consumers maybe didn't care as much as retailers sure. thought they do. They might. Um, but it, it this report certainly hammers home that, you know, obviously t taking, taking those must-have products where if you find it somewhere. So there's always that, right? There's always a handful of those things whether it's the you know the Nintendo Switch or whether it's another type of tech gadget, um, people will buy it regardless. They will find it somewhere. Who cares about the return policy? Who cares about the you know what else comes with it? They're just going to buy it, so that's fine. But outside of that, though, it seems like like you said with the wish lists, with understanding the return policies and making sure that you know you're you're not going to get uh, you, you're not going to get screwed out of your money in the end. That's a basic thing. We've all come that we, we've all, we've all come to a point with that where we expect something. We expect something that's a mature program, something like Amazon, to be honest. We expect every retailer sure. to act like Amazon in that way. Um, yeah. And, and everything else in the convenience and, and the personalized angle to it is, is, is certainly, it's certainly, you know, I guess frosting on the cupcake in a way like it's an extra it's an extra uh nice to have but it that's at least what i was thinking prior to this but now that i've seen the report it seems like it's something that you know shoppers are really truly prioritizing for this Absolutely. holiday season right right on mm. todd i mean that is exactly what this is about right to your point yes very uh um, banalities of, of retail, right? But these are must-haves now. There, there used to be nice-to-haves, but with with the um, Amazon, let's say, component in here, it's what we expect. Uh, everything should be clear. Everything should be tied to our experience. Recommendations and purchase guides should be personalized. And it sounds very obvious to us as, as consumers, but let's change roles for a second. If we were in 
let's say, a physical legacy retail headquarter environment, uh, we would know this, but the process or path to change would not be as clear as what we're sure. expecting, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. And and I guess one of the things that resonates to me, um, maybe I can say which, which one of these is is the one that really puts me over the edge and you can do the same for you uh sure. play a little game there um but the convenience part for me seems to be the one that i would have kind of checked the box on would have been i would have been extremely opinionated about um the convenient the convenience part of a, a retail purchase and what does that mean that means um convenience means complimentary shipping fast shipping right uh regardless of what it takes on the operational side to get it to me uh, that is a, that's a big deal for, for shopping, uh, when you're buying something and, and, and if they don't have it, I will, you know, I will, uh, go to a store and pick it up if it's, if it's faster. Um, there's another angle on here where half, uh, let's see here. The free shipping metric, I should go back to that. So the majority 64% cited free shipping as a catalyst for their purchase. Okay. And outside of that half cited limited time sales or promotions as another catalyst so that's an obvious one right so just having that sure. you know see oh look banana republic has 40 percent off i'm going in i just did that last weekend um <laughs> and 33 percent named buy online pickup in store capabilities as a catalyst which is interesting because i've only done that a couple times and i i don't know there's something about yeah. buying online and then going to the store to pick it up that doesn't quite work for me, but it seems to be a a chunk of the buying process for people is dependent on that. And, and that's, that's I think, grown, um, from what I understand, grown over the past few years tremendously, like hockey stick type growth in terms of sure. expectations. Which is interesting, right? So I'll give you mine in a second, or I'll take a different angle on that question that you posed. But if you think of uh, that buy line in store, I've tried that feature on a um, couple of websites, right? Uh, not that I was literally going to buy and pick up in store, but mm -hmm. I just wanted to test out the feature. <clears throat> sure. And a lot of times it had, it made me purchase to go see it in the store. So it wasn't like I was able to just like, I wanted to see the thing. Uh, Before you purchased the, it. Exactly. Yeah. But, but that wasn't an option. It was You wanted to like, reserve it, you mean, or something. Or exactly. not even reserve it, but you just wanted, you didn't want to do any of that. You just wanted to walk in, see it on the shelf or... Try it on. You know, try it, whatever. If it's closed, try it on. If it's a device... See it. See it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So right. you got to be sure about what you want. So obviously those, that 33% is pretty darn sure about what they want. You know, yeah. for example, go back to that Nintendo Switch example of another, of a, of one of the highest demand products in existence for the past nine months um, across categories. Uh, that, that is probably one of the large, re one of the larger reasons for that 33% because, you know, you see it online, you're going to purchase it, and I'm going to go pick it up right now type thing. So that's that. True. I demand. True. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And for me, it's really about the return policies, right? I expect the standard, let's say, Amazon policy where it's kind of like no questions asked, here's a refund for the unused item. Right. Right? Uh, I'll take a store credit because obviously if – I purchase from a store, then of course I will use the credit with them, even even if I didn't use the item. Granted, but but I'd like that to be clear 
and upfront. But the thing is that I've been so accustomed nowadays to the no questions asked that if you don't tell me upfront what it is, it just becomes annoying. And it's like, uh, why, why would I right. come to buy you, uh, Ms. Retailer, since you're not very clear on what, what I can expect from you if something isn't to my satisfaction, if you will. Right. Right. And, and I wonder if there's a, an angle on this that maybe we can cover in another episode of um, if, if the United States as in, in general, as a, as in a retail, as a retail community is in a different place when it comes to that convenience angle um, when compared to retailers and other, in other areas of the world, you know, retailers perhaps <clears throat> in China or retailers in Europe, if they have the same mentality uh, on their, you know, their their metrics for convenience. I'm curious if that's a thing. I don't know if it is. I'm just wondering if it's something we should look into because uh, I wonder if we'd find something, if we could find a report on that, if we could find how that, you know, satisfaction rates or policies, how they differ across uh, across uh, parts of the world that would be interesting to, to I think to understand based on the demands of the shoppers and in their audience so maybe we're just really demanding in the states uh yeah look i i think i wouldn't say that we're demanding um i i think it's really the expectations that have been set by retailers right it's not like consumers said this is what i want mm-hmm. it's been the other way around retailers had offered um given an offering and then re, re and then consumers have voted yeah this is great and you get used to it right but right? once one retailer opens the pandora's box it's the rest have to fall in line if it's something we all want right and this Absolutely. is how amazon has done it this exactly the retailers that haven't caught on have fallen to the wayside i guess right exactly mm-hmm. and so to answer your question very briefly uh without getting in too much of a digression yes it's a good uh segment in a future episode to talk about but yes in terms of what expectations are they're different. So, for example, I saw a talk recently about e-com in China, and the gist of it was, well, it had many angles, but specific to your question, for returns and shipments of e-com purchases within China from internal, let's say, retailers and brands, the rules are pretty much set by the government. I don't know what they are, but they're very, it's a very complex set of rules, right, of what the expectations are, et cetera. So the government sets this. Now, if you're selling to a Chinese consumer in the mainland from abroad, the rules that stand for returns, et cetera, and shipping would be the rule set by that retailer that's shipping from abroad. So there's flexibility. So that would shape their thought a little bit differently. For sure. So the short, for sure. short answer is yes, but again, for a future episode. Yeah, totally. It, it, we could get in. There's a lot of uh, economic and um, there's a lot of angles there, my, my lord, uh, that we could go into. So we'll, we'll, we'll table that. So to close out this episode, why don't we talk a little bit about some of the more Amazon news? We always have something about Amazon every episode. And <laughs> this is exciting because they're opening a second headquarters. And, um, you know, for the economic health and growth of any city, even the biggest city in, in, the, in the United States, everyone now is pandering to Amazon to encourage them to come to their city. 
Um, this is because there would be upwards of 50,000 plus jobs, which is a, you know, a booster shot to any city, regardless. Um, and, uh, there, obviously Amazon is looking for some things here, too. It's not just, uh, it's not just a one-way angle here. So Amazon is also being very demanding of, of the cities that they're looking at. And, uh, you know, um, I, I base our podcast out of Boston because I'm in Boston and you're in Boston sometimes, even though you're more transient than I am, Jose. But Boston is in the short list. New York City is in the short list. Chicago. Um, a whole bunch of, of cities are on the short list and they're looking at a whole bunch of metrics. So this is kind of exciting because having Amazon's equal of headquarters, you know, to counter their Seattle headquarters is a pretty big deal for any any city. That is a big deal. And especially if they're planning to invest $5 billion, right? That That's right. that's a big investment. I mean, this is, is this is like Olympics type level, you know, hosting the Olympics in a city. Yeah. Right. Without the that, traffic problems, hopefully. Exactly. And this is investment. That That's what kills me. Investment. That's not even look. That is their investment. In this particular, <laughs> yeah. let's say, second headquarters, is so much more than the revenues of companies. Mm-hmm. Period. That have been around for <laughs> a shorter, long time doesn't matter. But that that's that's a lot of money for headquarters. Yeah, and uh, it's it's crazy. It's getting the attention of everybody. Uh, so it's got the attention of obviously the city spokespeople and mayors. Uh, so we have New York City chiming in um, from Anthony. Ho- oh boy, Anthony Hogreeb, I think his last name is. He's a spokesman for the New York City Economic Development Corporation. He says New York City has the most innovative and diverse tech sector in the nation. Okay. Uh, and hey, in no Boston, comment? yeah, Boston Mayor <laughs> Martin Walsh, otherwise known as Matty Walsh, uh, he jumped in the <laughs> ring too. And there's my little Boston accent, even though I'm not from here, but still, I can pull it off. I think uh, you watch enough you Mark Wahlberg movies, and you can totally pull it off. Um, so if Amazon, this is their quote: If Amazon wants an East Coast headquarters, I don't see any city better in America than Boston, Massachusetts. So there you go. They're all, you know, they're all excited now. This is this is a big deal. So we'll see what happens. And I think um, so. They've well, this is a long process, Jose, right? So they're, yeah. they got a, an RFP happening, and it's those are the so the proposal request. Um, they will be looking for incentives, tax breaks, subsidies, land. So they're going to need a lot of land. What's the number on land here? Oh my goodness! Do you have this in front of you, Jose? The amount of land that they're looking for. It's millions of square miles or something i don't even know it's it's absolutely ridiculous i'm looking really? through the, the article right now it's a lot no, of I'm land looking. that they need so it's i'm also wondering oh no i shouldn't say millions of square miles that's ridiculous it's current seattle say. campus includes 8.1 million square feet of space in 33 buildings and employs more than 40,000 people um Ah, Second headquarters would need more than 50, I'm sorry, 500,000 square feet and up to 8 million square feet beyond 2027. So, oh my God, there you go. That's a lot of space. That's a lot of space. Yes. That's a lot of space. And that went along with another announcement this week, right? From Amazon that they announced that they're opening its, it's opening its first fulfillment center in New York city on Staten Island. So, Put this in perspective. We were just talking about how big this 
new headquarters would be. So this particular warehouse will measure 855,000 square feet and provide 2,250 new jobs in the area. Crazy. So they're going to pack and ship orders to the tri-state area, and they're going to work in conjunction with Amazon's team of robots. Don't they already have a fulfillment center, I think, in New Jersey, right? Or is I it... believe so, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I think I get most of my Amazon orders that come to Boston from yes. that one. <clears throat> they have five centers in New Jersey and one in Connecticut. But I guess since they have this one-day delivery, they prop my guess is they needed something from for the New York tri-state area an additional place right or same day uh, delivery and things like that yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. with the prime subscriptions going up the way they have and still continuing to grow everyone to, to, to your point right uh once you offer a benefit you expect that benefit yep absolutely absolutely so they're, they're building that out and you know they are seeking proposals for this the timeline here is by october 19th so that is uh, that is just in a few weeks. I mean, when you boil it all down, it's just in about four or five weeks. And uh, we'll we'll hear more, I think, from, from Amazon as they go through that process of vetting out cities. And they say, the article says, uh, the CNBC article that we'll link in the show notes, says that they will select the, uh, the location next year. <laughs> so, next year. I don't know if that means January or if that means December of next year, but next year at some point. And it's clearly a longer-term project for them, and I can't imagine the time it's going to take to get this thing built and active and all of that stuff. So this is a very forward-looking, uh, forward-looking activity for Amazon, but exciting nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. The, these guys are always in the news. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. It's it's just you can't get away. It seems like every week there's something going on with these guys, whether it's Whole Foods or whether it's the. Like you said, the opening of the of the new warehouse and distribution center in Staten Island or this, the headquarters, it's, you know, and, and I'm sure as we get closer to, you know, the, the, the season for Amazon, which is the holiday season, we'll see how, how things progress with them there. So. Yeah. And by the same token, let's not forget Walmart. You hear announcements from them, maybe not as frequently, but pretty often nowadays. You do. Yep. And we'll have more of that. So that was fun, and and that is a show. And those are our our three segments for for today. We covered um, the malls, Revenge of the Malls. We covered what matters to shoppers this year. We think, or at least that that uh, that the NR, uh, NRF thinks of what matters in terms of convenience and experience. And we covered Amazon second headquarters. That was cool. Uh, we're gonna uh, hopefully hear more about that in a future episode. We'll we'll keep coverage on that for sure. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Questions, comments, feedback, you can email us at BrickDataCast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at, at BrickDataCast. Uh, also, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and all those great places you find your favorite podcasts. So until next time, take care, everyone, and take care, Jose. Thanks, Todd. Bye, everyone. Bye.